0: This is episode 51 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Julianne Hartley.
1: I think before I had defined my strength and my success by my ability to help people, right? So like to me, being strong was being able to hike all those mountains and being able to help all my clients. And what I realized this past summer when I finally had to really ask for help, that Strength is being okay to be vulnerable. Strength is being okay for asking your community for help. Strength is being okay with not being the perfect idealized vision of health that you had for yourself, right? Strength is accepting there's a problem and working really hard to address it and find the root cause. It wasn't necessarily how much money you had in your bank account or how much your job is paying you or how many clients, whatever it has, like... Strength was like being able to be completely torn apart, have everything that's ever defined you eliminated, and then still finding a way to feel worthy.
0: You're listening to The Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Kayati, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. In today's episode, we have part one of my conversation with Julianne Hartley, who is a music therapist in New Hampshire, who is diagnosed with Lyme disease and a uh, unique autoimmune disorder. So in this conversation, we talk about that, her story, how she's um, had to adapt her life and her music therapy practice uh, and experience through these changes that she's had with her health um if you're enjoying the show please let us know by leaving us a review on itunes or on facebook i would love to be able to read some more reviews at the ends of episodes you can find us online and on social media at music therapy chronicles and you can join our group on facebook to let us know what you think about the episodes and start a conversation continue a conversation If you're looking for another way to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon. The link is always in the show notes. And patrons have the exclusive opportunity to ask guest questions. So if you have thought before that you wanted to ask a question to a guest, this is your opportunity to have that chance in the future. All right, let's get into this episode with Julianne. Hey, Julianne. Welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Hi. How are you feeling today?
1: Oh, I think I'm a little anxious like everyone else right now. But uh, for being a little anxious, I actually think I'm doing very well.
0: Good for you. Yeah, uh, New Hampshire has kind of blown up overnight, I think, with um, all this drama. By the time this comes out, hopefully things have subsided. But right now, it's pretty crazy.
1: When are you expecting for this to come out? End of April, I think. Okay. So by then, hopefully we'll have moved through yeah. all of the drama and hopefully we'll be looking at, back at it and we're like, wow, we were really overreacting. It was totally fine. Or maybe be like, wow, maybe we should have like tried a little harder. <laughs> Either way,
0: we'll, we will have learned from the situation and finding a new normal.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that's what it's going to have to be. You know, my husband and I were just talking last night about how this is going Going to be such a defining moment, and I think a lot of our lives on how we decide to redefine what is normal, what we're okay with, and what we need to start changing you know, forcing change on. Mm. So it's going to, it's a catalyst for sure. Catalysts can be good or bad. Well, well I mean, they can be both, and it's. It's amazing
0: how much shaking up is happening with like the forest fires in Australia with this, with, um, and this is from my perspective with our, our political situation being kind of similar to the way it was mm-hmm. four years ago where things are pretty polar opposites and, you know, who knows how that's going to turn out. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of shaking up going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel... Like, if it, if there's, like, a global anxiety attack happening, I, I'm i on board. <laughs> like, I'm like, I, I'm i with you. I'm there. Mm. Taking lots of CBD oil right now. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> so to start us off, can you tell the
0: listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, not necessarily your music therapy life, but what you are into.
1: Okay. So I am a music therapist, and that is a big defining part of my life. Um I am also a neurologic music therapist, which I think defines a lot of my music therapy work. So that's worth mentioning. And then besides that, I am a super or was a super avid hiker, outdoors woman. Um, I love foraging for wild foods and learning about medicinal plants and learning about tree medicines and all of these things I'm very passionate about. So the irony of all this is my husband and I, we are not preppers by any means. Like we're not preppers, but due to the nature of us trying to move towards more sustainable food sources, we have inevitably become preppers, right? Mm -hmm. So last summer we ended up dehydrating, I mean, gallons and gallons of fruit, right? Of like wild fruit we had harvested and we had made just so many quarts of applesauce and peaches and tomato sauce. And we had dried, probably dried about it. I have about a gallon of dehydrated um, kale powderish stuff, right? From our garden. So all of that now is very useful mm-hmm. when we're like, I guess we're going to stay inside for the next two or three weeks yeah. or stay on our property. Um, but yeah, so I'm very passionate about wild food, sustainable food sources. Um, and then the other thing I like people to know about me is that I hiked the Appalachian trail in 2015 and, um, have since been diagnosed with Lyme disease, which has massively impacted my life. And, um, we figured out I had this really rare immune disorder, which doesn't allow me to fight infections properly. So, um, I actually have um, at the moment i think i'm battling six different infections two bacterial and four viral not including coronavirus right we're just i'm hoping not to throw that one into the mix (laughs) and i'm going to take some pretty drastic measures to make sure we don't throw that one into the mix but um so that's throughout that whole journey in this medical journey process right now i'm on full medical leave um i have learned so much about advocating, I think that's one of the things they are going to be really talking about today—is mm-hmm. how to really make sure that you're advocating for your health. I've learned so much to empathize with my clients and these families who have special needs children, um, and I'm really excited to talk about that stuff today.
0: Awesome! So, how did you first find out about the Lyme?
1: Oh gosh, man! Who, your a story? Oh yes. This is—you know—this is this is the. You know, when we're talking about advocacy one of the first really important things is being able to know your own body and to be able to feel comfortable in your own body and to be able to feel comfortable saying when you think something is off. And I think so many of us are scared of being called hypochondriacs or think that we're, we're overreacting. And, and you kind of see this on a large scale right now with how our society is reacting to the coronavirus things. Because you know, even on Tuesday, I told a family member I was concerned about the coronavirus based off the information that was coming from Italy. And that family member ripped me a new one saying I was spreading lies and fears with my concern, right? I was living in fear. I wasn't, which I I don't believe I was, right? I think I was being cautious for good reason. Um, And I think so much of that, what this is, is it's just magnifying this fear we have of being the first ones to call the alarm or, you know, this fear of maybe being different from the crowds and we'll just go with the crowd and say, it's okay. Say it's okay. Maybe even this fear of being uncomfortable and acknowledging that there's an issue. There's so much that has to change once we finally acknowledge that there's an issue. And it's the exact same thing, whether it be this giant, uh, world crisis or just an internal crisis within our body. Mm. And with that, with when there's something wrong, the whole first step is just acknowledging that there's something wrong. And it took me probably five or six years to acknowledge that there was something wrong. And I, I, like, I, I knew there was something wrong. So I'll start the story with in 2012, I had a bite on my arm that was purple and large and looked like this big rash. And I had a 103.6 degree fever that just came on all of a sudden. Like I was at dinner with my family. Um, We were out to dinner and I had to rush home. By the time I got home, I like deliriously crawled up to bed. And I don't remember anything the rest of the night, but I remember waking up maybe eight or nine hours later. And I had apparently been delirious the entire time with a super high fever sweating through. My mom had come over to help get me through the fever because obviously I think she could tell something was wrong. It's a mother's intuition there. Mm. Um, Yeah. And so I think that's when it started. I can't say for sure when I got Lyme disease, but I think that was the moment. I went to go see my doctor the week after because these fevers came and went and came and went. Um, My father had just been diagnosed with Lyme disease a couple months earlier and he had the same rash. It wasn't a bullseye, but it was the same rash. We had the same doctor Um, but my doctor told me it was probably just a virus, even though that same doctor had diagnosed my father with Lyme disease and had tested my father with Lyme disease. He told me it was just a virus. I went to the music therapy conference, national conference, felt really sick the whole time. I had a fever on the airplane ride over. It was like, I was like deliriously walking through Chicago by myself, trying to get to a train station and like some Amazing old gentleman came up to me and was like, Honey, you are gonna get mugged with your like you look like you are lost. You look like you don't know what's going on. Like, what do you need? Because this is not I cannot he's like, I can't just walk away from this disaster waiting to happen. Wow. Like, wow. <laughs> what a nice human. <laughs> oh, thank you, human. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, for the next couple of years, I started developing severe arthritis. Um and just, you know, all, the symptom after symptom, I started getting really bad insomnia. I would schedule my music therapy day so I could come home in the middle of the day for a three hour nap because, or I couldn't even sleep, but it was just, I'd had, I had to rest for three hours because I just felt like my mind was on fire. Uh, it was really uncomfortable. And this whole time I kept asking my doctor for more testing um, and he kept telling me that I wasn't sick that it was in my head and that I was probably distressed and should go on antidepressants. And, wow. you know, it's fine if you need to go on antidepressants, but this didn't feel like depression. This felt very much like my body was literally on fire and it was tough not to be taken very seriously. But at that point I was still, this is a side No, But I think in general, women in our society are brought up to be agreeable and we are rewarded when we are agreeable. Mm -hmm. We are rewarded when we don't make problems. And that's very much what my childhood was kind of defined by. So I was not the person then to question a doctor, right? Like I just, if he said, no, I must be fine. Then I was like, okay, I guess I must be fine. It must be in my head. And it took me a lot. Took me many years of working through this idea that, like, okay, maybe I'm just in so much pain because maybe I need attention. Like, what are healthier ways for me to be getting this attention I might need? Or, or maybe I'm seeing myself as sick. I had some family members that still, to this day, have this I- ideology that you are sick because you think you're sick. You are sick because you want to feel broken, which I'm not like maybe there are some cases where that's a thing. Maybe you're sick because of unresolved things you need to work through your life. I'm totally open to that. Um, but this definitely felt like, no, I think I'm like really sick. Um, so finally I went to go hike the Appalachian trail where, and this was kind of like my last chance. I was just trying to I I eventually was admitting, well, maybe the doctor's right. Maybe I am just depressed. Maybe I need a lifestyle change. Let me reevaluate my lifestyle. Let me reevaluate my career. Even though I loved my job, I was just too tired to do it. Um, And while I hiked the Appalachian Trail, I just quickly realized, like, I am not depressed. Like, I am struggling with severe pain throughout my entire body, much more than is normal for a 24, 25-year-old woman to be struggling with. And I ended up getting a whole bunch, I, I got a pair, a really bad parasitic infection while I was on the Appalachian trail. Oh, and like goodness. literally, had, I mean, this whole story, it's, it's ridiculous, but I had to do this two hour long hitchhike to get to a hospital from the Appalachian trail where I was at a point where like, I couldn't even stand up without having a heart feeling like I was going to have a heart attack because I was so dehydrated from shitting my brains out in the woods and then eventually at the local post office when I finally got to civilization and then at the hospital like and this parasite only happens with people who have pretty severe immune compromise systems it's called cryptosporidium and it's like a big red flag if you get cryptosporidium it's like as an adult maybe if you're a baby or an elderly person but it was definitely a big red flag so eventually I finished the Appalachian trail, literally kicking and screaming and like crawling my way to the end and crawling my way down with help of others. Cause I was so physically beat up, but I think I was also, I wasn't okay with not completing a goal back mm-hmm. then. Like I was still like, no, you have to do this. You have to do this. I wasn't, I wasn't yet open to the idea that like, maybe this was more serious. I need to actually give myself a break rather than just keep fighting through all these things. And that gets into a whole conversation about how we define ourselves. (laughs) But we'll get there another time. Um, But let me just say this, it's okay to not define yourself by your successes, right? Like your successes are not the goals you necessarily completed. Um, You know, but that's food for thought. Um, Anyway, so eventually I did When I finished the Appalachian Trail, I went to see a different doctor because I stopped pooping altogether, just like done, no bowel movements. It was like my whole – looking back at it, I had something called – I don't even know if I'm going to say it right, gastroparesis. It's like my whole uh, digestive tract was essentially paralyzed from like the stomach down. Wow. Yeah, and so I was doing enemas every day. Like Keep in mind, I was trying to run a full practice. Yeah. I was doing enemas every morning to like desperately try to clear myself out. You were exhausted to begin with. I was and- exhausted. Yeah. I was like recovering. I had torn my Achilles while I was on the Appalachian Trail and I had hiked another 500 miles on a torn Achilles. I was like, I will not stop. Oh my goodness. I will not stop. I mean, it's like, come on. <laughs> Someone needed therapy. Um, but anyways, yeah. So eventually I went to go see a different doctor because at this point I realized – you know, my primary care doctor's advice was to just take Miralax when I wasn't pooping. And I was like, no, dude, you don't understand. (laughs) Like nothing is happening even with Miralax or any kind of laxatives. You probably don't talk about poop that often on your podcast. No, but I talk about poop a lot in my personal life. So I'm okay with it. It's a really important conversation to be okay. It tells you so much about your body. Yeah. Yeah. Like talk about being self-awareness. Like Mm -hmm. when someone tells me they're feeling off, I'm always like, well, how's your poop? Mm -hmm. Like let's come on. Where are we going here? Anyways. um, So eventually I saw a different doctor. I went to go see an naturopathic doctor in Concord New Hampshire. And she was the first doctor, She's first woman doctor I'd ever had. And she was the first doctor who said, I believe you that something's wrong. We're going to figure this out together. Wow. Right. And she just, she saw me as a co-detective and we were going to work this out and we were going to figure it out. And so she wanted to test for Lyme disease. But at that point, I was so convinced it could not possibly be Lyme disease because why would my other primary care doctor deny it for years if it weren't, you know what I mean? Like clearly at this point, I was like, no, 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 we have to check for other things. It's clearly not Lyme disease. Like let's just check, check other avenues. And she's like, okay, Um, Because it was in her view that, you know, we should be empowered over our medical choices and – which is good. Um, But so we ended up doing six months of testing and it was basically like everything was bad. I was testing like the highest possible autoimmunity numbers. So for anyone who's listening and understands like the medical world, um, when you have an ANA panel done, they give you like an amount – like a tighter amount and that shows – how many times they had to zoom in before they couldn't see any more autoimmune cells. I capped out as far as the computer would zoom in, or as far as the, you know, so like I was like the highest amount possible for autoimmune cells. Um, my thyroid was off a whole bunch of body functions were just completely off. There were lots of red flags and it's not normal. You would see so many different body systems really kind of malfunctioning. Um, uh, but that's common in Lyme disease. So she finally was like, I think we need to do a Lyme disease test because, like, I'm not just going to treat your thyroid and treat this and treat that and treat – like, this is, like, clearly there's there's a root cause of all of this. And so we did a Lyme disease test, and it was positive, um, like, very positive. So, you know, like, I know, like, Lyme disease is a very kind of questionable kind of testing thing, but I, am, I was CDC positive, no doubts about it. And that was four years ago. And so since then, it's been – on four years of on and off antibiotics and different treatment styles, different modalities, and I always start to get better. But then as soon as I'm off of the antibiotics, I start to crash again. And then last June, I started to crash while I was still on the antibiotics. Um, I went to go – and I was having a lot of neuro- – like increasingly worsening neurological symptoms to the point where we thought maybe I had MS or something. And I did have brain damage. um, And it turned out I have on top of the Lyme disease, I had had this immune condition that's probably genetic that doesn't allow my body to fight any infections. And so infections go from... So most people, when you get an infection, you get a fever, you have a pretty dramatic response. It sends out all these red flags that something's wrong. My body no longer had any of the tools to do that. So I was just getting infections left and right. Like I was getting strep infections all the time. I was getting all of these different, I had like a four month long sinus infection, but my body like couldn't, couldn't make a fever to get rid of any of these things. I mean, it, it was just these infections were just kind of brewing. And what happens when you just let them brew is they kind of end up destroying your neurological system. So I ended up having to go on full medical leave from that point, which was like, so. we should dive more into that, what that's like to have to give up your whole practice, your whole work, everything that's defined you. Um, But anyway, so I had to do that. And since then I've been on medical leave for almost 10 months, nine, nine or 10 months. And just, Taking it day by day as my brain recovers and as we try to find the right treatments, I I have a pick line in my arm. which You can't see because it's way up there, but basically, have a tube hanging on my arm to be connected to IVs half the day. It's like it's a pretty, it's a mind-boggling scenario,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And then you add this coronavirus in there, and you're just like, "Come on, people!" Yeah, yeah. Oh <laughs> like, god. Really? Um, but it's okay because. We're going to learn so many lessons. I've learned so many lessons along this whole thing, and I'm sure we're up for a lot of lessons. But yeah, so that's kind of like my Lyme disease story in a nutshell. We don't know if I still have it or not. We're hoping I don't, um, especially because I'm on immune therapy now. That should like help mm-hmm. my body actually fight things. So, like Maybe I'll be fine with the coronavirus. Maybe the immune therapy is just going to be... be superhuman. Yeah, I'll be superhuman. i into everything but maybe not. So I'm being careful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Please be careful. Um, Stay healthy. So yeah. what what was that like to have to, um, it, it g- is give up your practice the right, wa- yeah. the right way yeah. to say it? Yeah. I don't want to use the wrong language here. Well, so
1: when I had gotten into my work, so I, I'm i the director of music therapy at the Concord County Music School. I'm still technically the director. I'm, I didn't quit my job. They didn't fire me. It's just I'm on medical leave. So I still help out when I can, you know, from the phone, if there are questions or something, but I am no longer working actively with clients. Um, I had built that up, right? So there was a music therapist. I would passed that on, that her work on to me, none, you know, but when I got there, her, there was, there was no work to be passed on. It was, you know, kind of built it up from zero clients to completely full-time practice with a waiting list, which is a cool thing, right? When you mm-hmm. are a young music therapist pioneering in kind of a new area of the state. Um the hardest thing about this whole journey so far has been accepting that the only way I was going to get through this was if I was vulnerable enough to ask for help and a vulnerable enough to start saying, I can't do this. Right. And that is one of the hardest lessons I've ever learned in my life. Like keep in mind, I hiked the Appalachian Trail with like an infection and arthritis I don't and a know how port Achilles. <laughs> But asking for help, like telling your friends and your family, like, I am drowning. I am completely drowning. I don't even know if I'm going to make it to my 30th birthday party. You know, the neurologist told me my brain was turning to stew mm. and that I had to stop everything I was doing. Like, just stop. We have to figure this out. And coming to terms with all of that and coming to terms with having to potentially let down your your full client load and all of the groups, like having to let down all those people. That was the scariest thing I'd ever done. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, just crying like all the time, every time I thought about it, crying about having to tell my boss that this I was going to have to go on medical leave or having to find a new music therapist that I trusted or um. Having to tell my husband he had to drive me from now on because my vision had been too damaged for it to be safe for me to do. Mm. Um,
0: yeah. And dealing with all that emotionally on top of everything, your body is also
1: fighting. Yeah. And losing your independence. Yeah. Like Wait, complete uh, loss of independence. That's
0: um, like you were saying before about sympathizing with your clients and the families. Yes. Yeah. yes.
1: You know, and I think a lot of music therapists, we work with people who may never drive and will likely never drive. We work with people who will never be independent. Like, that's the goal for many of them. But the reality is, is that they will never be, many of the people we work with will never be independent fully. Um, And, you know, coming to grips, the idea of like, I may not be able to have children safely, or I may end up in a wheelchair, like, having to come to terms with all those things, then realizing like, but Julianne, like there are millions of people that that is their daily reality. And that was such a good, just good for me to put in perspective um, that like, this is obviously not the end of the world for me. I just have to like learn to keep growing and keep adapting. And um, how do I put this? I think before I had defined my strength and my success by my ability to help people. Right. So like to me being strong was being able to hike all those mountains and being able to help all my clients. And what I realized this past summer, when I finally had to really ask for help that strength is being okay to be vulnerable. Strength is being okay for asking your community for help. Strength is being okay with not being the perfect idealized vision of health that you had for yourself, right? Strength is accepting there's a problem and working really hard to address it and find the root cause. It wasn't necessarily how much money you had in your bank account or how much your job is paying you or how many clients or whatever it has. Like strength was like being able to be completely torn apart, have everything that's ever defined you eliminated and then st- Still finding a way to feel worthy. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Have I've you, thought a lot about it. <laughs> have,
0: yeah. Have you read any of Brene Brown's books?
1: Yeah. I've mm-hmm. done a few of her audiobooks. Yeah. I really appreciate her and the messages that she's sharing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, she has the whole power of vulnerability, right? That's her whole talk. And just the best businesses, the ones, you know, the – I guess the most adaptive businesses are the ones that are able to be vulnerable. But being vulnerable is so fucking hard. Like, it doesn't matter how many Brene Brown talks you give or how many times you tell your clients that it's okay to ask for help until you're in the hot seat and it is you asking your husband to drive you to your doctor's appointment or to, you know, or asking a friend to drive you to the grocery store. Like, or, or just completely, lo- whatever whatever your definition of independence is, and then having that get cut down, like that is when you understand, okay, like this is being vulnerable and why community is so freaking important. Yeah. Yeah, and um,
0: I lost my train of thought. Oh,
1: Brene Brown, you were talking about Brene Brown. Yeah, you said something that –
0: oh, in that you're – being vulnerable can be so much harder when you have been the caregiver,
1: right? Yeah. Because
0: like you're providing for these clients. So I, I don't want to compare myself to someone in a different profession because we're all humans interacting with humans and whatever, but to to usually be on the other end, like you said about um, supporting the client and helping them be their authentic self and everything. And yeah, it's, it's so much harder. So much yeah. harder to flip that.
1: Well, and I think, you know, part of how it always, like as a ther- I had like imposter syndrome, you know, I was like, who am I as a therapist to be helping these people if I'm having panic attacks every time I go to the doctor's office, cause they give me more bad news or who am I to be, you know, working with these mental health clients because like, I'm just barely staying alive right now. Like, who am I? And, um, I think once I got over that and once I just realized that like, And, you know, I don't think I had ever realized on a conscious level that I thought having severe disabilities made you worthless or something. But that was the – I was afraid that I was worthless because I had these severe disabilities coming up. And it made me kind of really think like, well, have I thought this about my clients? Like, no, i love my clients. I love them. They're amazing people. They're doing the best they can with what they've got. And everyone's like, I I didn't judge them for being worthless. So why was I also judging myself so hard? Um, But it made me kind of really stare that head on. Like, do we stigmatize people with disabilities in our culture? Why am I so afraid of being disabled? And I have no answer for that. I'm just, you know, yeah. just a lot of thoughts you have to come up with when you're you're dealing with your life changing so drastically.
0: Yeah. Well, and it takes so much self-awareness to notice these things going wrong with your body, expend the energy to advocate for yourself, but also be toying in your mind with, is it in my head? Yeah. Uh, and still, then, like, Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, when you finally accept what's going on, um, not fully accepting it because it's a different reality and adjusting to that is difficult.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know imagine. it's it's a weird place because you know it's not like my leg was just chopped off. Mm-hmm. Um you know and then I have to like move on from that. It's like I have lost pretty dramatic abilities. So for one example, my vision, I developed a visual processing delay, meaning like I see things you know maybe a millimeter of a second or whatever I don't know, millisecond, a millisecond, <laughs> millisecond <laughs> less a milliliter of a second, right? a millisecond <laughs> less than or later than everyone else does, which doesn't impact like my FaceTime, like my, you know, my one-on-one time. Like I see your lips moving at the sound that, you're, you know, your 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 voice is coming out. But when you get in a car, then suddenly as everything gets faster, every, I feel like I'm in a spaceship, right? I just like <laughs> my brain can't keep up with like, and you, you like things you don't even think about that connect, like the vestibular sense of moving in a car. Mm. also connects to your auditory perception of it, which also connects to your visual perception of it. But when one of those things is off, yeah. which my vision was like my, my brain, the whole time I'm driving in a car with someone, it's just like, this does not compute. This does not compute. Like this is not safe. This is not safe. Everything is off. And it's amazing. The red flags your body sends out when something is off. Um, I didn't know where I was going with that, but your vision. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So having to just accept that, like, my vision may come back, but it may not. And so it's a tough place because part of my coping skill is being able to accept the changes, make a game plan and like learn to cope from it from there. But I'm in this place where next year I may be driving again, or I may not like, I've got like these two parallel game plans. of like, if I heal, if I don't heal, if I only heal this part, if I only heal that part, um, And so that makes it a little bit tougher to cope with because it's always like, well, what's going to come back? What do I need to just accept as my new normal?
0: Yeah, Um, that made me think about how we are living in a time and we work in a profession where the idea of progress and improvement is Mm -hmm. evident. Um, I think it's very rare that we see a client and accept that where they're at is where they're going to be and we just need to maintain quality of life maybe for elderly populations. I know that's different. And some clients, maybe, yes, that's the truth. But in general, we know that the brain can heal and that the body can heal. And so uh, you're in the right community to have that support to get you where you need to be and to support you along the way, however long it takes and whatever you need, no matter which path you end up on.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's like, realistically, it's both paths, right? Like, Because especially when you're dealing with something that is so systemic, like it's not just my vision. There's, you know, there's a thousand different things that have been affected. Some slowly come back. Some don't. And so there's always just the waxing and waning of symptoms and progress. I poop normal again. So that's like pretty cool. Congratulations. (laughs) That's like a definition of success for me. It's like, no more enemas. I'm okay. (laughs) Oh, man. So I have to just tell you a story about the enemas um while all this was happening right as I was diagnosed my then boyfriend and I decided to go on a really long road trip um like a three month long road trip because I couldn't see a Lyme specialist till three months and it was summertime and we figured well I felt like death anyways might as well feel like death going around the country to different national parks it was like get my get my head out of it right and so we did this but I still wasn't pooping the entire time. So we were finding water, filtering water. I had this like travel enema kit. We would find like a Walmart bathroom or a national park <laughs> bathroom or sometimes we were hiking in the backwoods and it was just in the woods. And I was doing enemas all around the country. Of course. It's like a just, whole whole series. So many Walmart bathrooms. And I you know it's just like I just wish I could have been the person sitting next to me in a Walmart bathroom just hearing an enema release <laughs> into a toilet and just like I would love to have just seen their faces of like, what is happening? it be like when Vine was
0: big and people would do do things like that, like crazy yes. things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 It was pretty great. But man, we're resilient people. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. So the whole thing, it's just I have a lot of empathy for people who have been going through their whole lives with disabilities or going through their whole lives with chronic illnesses because I wasn't. I didn't go through my whole life with these chronic of chronic illnesses. And it it was really hard for me to, like, just step back and be like, this is actually okay. You're still worthy of being loved by all your friends and family, even if you can't help them out right now. Like, they can help you, and that's okay.
0: Yeah. Ah, oh, beautiful. I want to circle back. Um, yeah, let's circle uh tell us about your album that you've created
1: oh yeah we, we haven't even mentioned that yet
0: no I guess let me try again I want to circle back to specifically music therapy related conversation
1: yeah I love it <laughs> um so I when I was starting to get really sick um and it was starting to kind of amp up so like in 2017 after I'd been diagnosed for a year and I was on off all these antibiotics realizing I might have to change the way I approach my career, mm. right? Like I may not ever be able to work with people all day long because I can barely sit up for more than an hour or so, right? Um, without having to lay down. Unless I can work with clients laying down. But I just don't think many people let you do that for whatever reason.
0: No, be that trailblazer. Figure it out for us and we'll, we'll do it. <laughs>
1: Everyone will be like, I am the couch music therapist. <laughs> my style of practice is couch. Um, but yeah, so I decided to start recording a lot of the songs I used in my practice. So my mentality, I don't like to have a song for each goal. I like to have a bunch of great songs that you can adapt to meet a thousand different goals. And I think that's generally our practice as music therapists is we try to find songs that we can adapt. Um, And so I had come up with just, you know, I had like my 15 go-to songs that I knew I could adapt and work on movement goals or speech goals or neurological goals in whatever way possible. But but these songs were also simple to learn so I could teach parents Um, and then easy to play, right? So that was like kind of these selection of songs I had – come up with over the years. And so I decided just to record them in order to give them to parents of the kids I was working with, give to family members, or to be able to kind of teach early education. And just like, these are some of the songs I use. I thought it'd be a good advocacy tool because I could show them how music therapists can adapt the songs, how we're trained to adapt the songs. And so in 2018, I published an album called Therapeutic Songs for Kids by Miss Julianne. It's my stage name you can find it on Spotify and YouTube and all those places where you find music. I'll link it in the show notes. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it I mean, if I had known it was going to blow up, I probably would have put more time into it. <laughs> like I had a strep infection and a sinus infection for about 3 quarters of the songs I recorded on there. Wonderful. If I had known like people all around the world would have been listening to it, I probably would have like just re-recorded my voice for some of those songs. Um But I guess looking back at it, it's probably even better that my voice is imperfect because I think it also gives parents permission to be imperfect with their voices, too. Good observation. Yeah. Like if we're only ever hearing these perfect, pristine computer treated voices, um, then I think it makes it way more intimidating for people to hear their own voice and the natural imperfections that come along with it. So, okay, I guess maybe we'll say I did it on purpose. Um, But yeah, so. I published the album in 2018 and it ended up doing really well. Like it won a national award, one of the parents choice awards. Thank you. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, And then I finally just put it on Spotify in October. Like it had blown up nationally, like through iTunes and Amazon and all that. And that was really cool. And when I say blow up, I mean, it's not like, I'm not like Britney Spears over here or <laughs> Celine. It was just like, I did, it did, I made my money back and that's all I wanted. Mm-hmm. I was like, I just want to make my money back. That's a big deal. Yeah, right. For an album to make your money back. Um, and it was mostly librarians around the country that bought it like a lot, which was really cool. I recommend everyone make an album. It's a great thing. Um, but yeah, so, but then I finally put it on Spotify as one of my friends in Australia urged me to do. And then it like blew up nationally and still not like Celine Dion level but to me it was pretty cool to have you know like a hundred thousand streams throughout the world that's pretty cool Like, that's you know that's my impact as a local music therapist is maybe 200 people each week when I'm working and um, to be able to have a much bigger and global impact was cool especially when I'm on medical leave Mm -hmm. right that's the other kind of cool thing is I'm still able to kind of have that positive impact through this album. Yeah. Yeah. So I recommend people just checking it out only just for the sake of like all the songs I have on there. They're great for early childhood education. They're all incorporate a lot of movement and speech sounds into it. Um, You can play around to make them work on attention goals. I think for a music therapist, it'll be fairly obvious how to do that. Um, but the songs are also really easy to learn, which for me is super key when I've got memory issues. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. So I recommend that.
0: Cool. I will link that for the listeners to find.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Thank
0: you so much for tuning into this week's episode. I hope you learned something and are feeling connected. Um, If you have a similar story of struggle with health and needing to adjust your life and clinical practice because of it, um, reach out to Julianne. She's very, very warm and kind and obviously open to talk about these subjects. So If you're looking for some support, she's definitely a great resource. In part two of my conversation with Julianne, we talk about her work with uh, trauma and children in the foster care system and how she navigated that, as well as her experiences as a nutritional therapy practitioner and why she decided to get that certification and how it has informed her music therapy practice. So definitely a cool conversation. Check that out next week. It'll be live for you to listen to. If you're enjoying the podcast, as always, please consider leaving us a review, finding us on social media and joining our group on Facebook. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash music therapy chronicles. And if you or someone you know is interested in being on the podcast or if there's someone you'd like me to reach out to to have on the show, please send an email to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. Thank you again so much for listening to this episode and I will see you in the next one.